You're listening to the Beside the Badge podcast with your host, Paul Bunker, veteran chaplain and friend to law enforcement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Beside the Badge. I am your host, civilian police chaplain Paul Buckner from the American Midwest. So let's get down to business and let's talk about uh, things <clears throat> that no one should see that first responders see. So I have the honor and the privilege of being a civilian police chaplain. For those who don't know me, I've done this for 10, 10 12 years, and I have some amazing conversations with people. But there are things because of the nature of accidents, because of crime scenes, because of places where people are injured, um, fires, obviously car wrecks, um, things that happen, people fall through windows. When someone goes into being a first responder, they get into it generally to help. And then there are terrible things they see. Um, I don't know him personally, but I, I know of a gentleman who his very first week as a police officer, um, he responded to a car accident where a couple of young women uh, had not stopped in time and had slammed into the back of a flatbed truck and uh, been decapitated. Um, that's not something someone should see. Um, I talked to an officer recently um, that uh, responded to an accident, uh, found a, a man unresponsive, not breathing, and began to do CPR. Now, this was before um, we have the new CPR standards, and I forget the name of the device that you put between yourself. It's basically a one-way valve that allows you to to breathe for the person, but not get anything back. You can you can be vomited on into your mouth. That happens and has happened to a lot of first responders. A lot of times when you're doing chest compressions, people can throw up. Um, I've had people talk about doing chest compressions on somebody and having blood coming up out of them because of injuries where there's penetrating wounds to the chest from bullets, from from uh, from glass, from metal, uh, from stab wounds, and they're actually having blood come up on them. Uh, this particular gentleman was doing a CPR, and unfortunately, because of the scrambled nature of the inside of the man's head, he now knows what a human brain tastes like. Now, for a lot of people, they get queasy at the thought of that, much less the fact of that. And I shared with him when he told me this, I said, no one should know what a human brain tastes like. That's, that's terrible. No one should know. That's awful that you experienced that. And I recognize that I value this man. I consider him a friend. And when he shared that with me, I was not only deeply honored, but horrified that he'd had to go through that. Um, it's, it's a terrible thing that happens. I talked to a gentleman um, who was a firefighter and there was no way they could get to people trapped in a vehicle that was burning. It was a very bad situation and he heard them scream to death. That is something that first responders often hear is the screams of someone that they can't help and they want to help. It's very difficult for a lot of folks who are first responders to realize there are things that are above your pay grade and that you just can't get to that person. You're not going to be able to help them. You can't get there fast enough. Um, somebody may refuse to get out of the way. And so it slows you down. It's hard not to become bitter. But this, this gentleman as a firefighter talked about the fact that he heard and saw them burn to death and smelled them burning. 
Um, you can be exposed to terrible chemicals. You can be exposed to hepatitis. You can be exposed to any number of infections, sexually transmitted diseases because of dealing with people's blood. Um, I was at a situation recently within the last year uh, that a gentleman had fallen and had a pretty, pretty bad trauma inside of his head and was bleeding profusely from his face. And we got him in the recovery position on his side or he would have drowned in his own blood. There are things that first responders see that most people will never see. The man's body thought he was dying. And because of the severity of the wounds, the shock and the trauma, um, he had hot chocolate running down the inside of his pant leg. It was feces. It was just coming out so quickly and it looked like hot chocolate. This is not pretty. This is not a fun topic. I know police officers who've seen the dead bodies of small children, um, drowning victims, people who have been mangled in car wrecks beyond belief. And, and idiots will say, well, they signed up for it. That's the job they chose. And respectfully, I will tell you, you're an idiot. Because no one should see what first responders are forced to see. Many people, I've talked to people that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they saw something that still traumatizes them to this day. They're not a first responder. They're not a police officer, a firefighter, an EMT, a paramedic. They're not a nurse. They're not a doctor. And they saw something. They were at a wreck and they saw somebody die. And it has traumatized them to this day. For those people, I would say that was probably a Tuesday for a police officer. Um, uh, first responders go to accidents. And a lot of times the way it's reported by the people at the scene is completely different than the actual reality. It's one of the most startling things I've discovered over the time beside the badge is how often the things that are reported by the people that are on scene are completely different from reality. Um, and you do see absolutely terrible things. And it's one of those things that you have to have, there's, there's a special heart in a person and you have to, you have to be very careful to keep your mental health up because of the terrible things you see. You may see a suicide. I know a police officer that responded to the suicide of one of his best friends. I've talked about it before. No one should see these things. It's one of the terrible tragedies of the broken world we live in. And, um, you know, police officers are, are called upon to do uh, welfare checks and they find where somebody uh, collapsed in the floor, maybe fell and died. And it's not a pretty scene. Un unlike the bodies in Hollywood movies and TV shows where days after the decedent has passed, they still look like a human being. That's not how that works in real life. And think more like roadkill. And I've talked to police officers that have slipped and fallen and come up, running up to the scene of an accident and discovered that they have human brain all over them. Um, police officers who have had people urinate on them. Um, there was a, a jail near me where an individual was throwing their own feces on police officers, on the, on the jailers. And that's, that's an incredibly, the biohazard nature of that is incredibly high. It's terrible. There's a lot of terrible things that people see who are first responders. And the simple answer is no one should see those things. 
No one should see a, 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 the dead body of a small child. No one should should hold a small child as they die. Um, no one should see a murder scene where the person's been stabbed multiple times. You know, in my in my neck of the woods, there was a murder where a woman was murdered and her body was dumped, and the body was found by a cyclist. A bicyclist was going by and found her body. No one should see that. And it can and often will leave an indelible mark on the person that deals with it. And so when I talk about this, I think it's important to also talk about potential ways of dealing with it. I've talked about similar in the past, but I think it bears talking about again. I've had some really powerful conversations in the last couple of weeks with first responders about the terrible things they see. And when you're, when you're, when you're not able to help somebody because you couldn't get there in time or the person didn't listen to you, that's one of the most tragic things that I have been around is where someone has been told 15 or 50 times, you need to get away from this person. You need to get away from this situation. It's going to kill you. Um, it's really difficult for first responders, EMS and fire, um, when they go to, I mean, police officers as well, when they go to someone who's been narcaned 10 times. And, you know, I, I have a friend that a lady was grabbing him and shaking him while he was trying to do CPR, telling him to do something, telling him to save her husband. Okay, lady, let him do his job. He's trying. Policemen, firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics, they don't, they don't have a magic wand they can wave. And I've talked to firefighters and what have you, police officers, EMS, when they talk about they've gone to that house where they've narcaned somebody three and five and ten times, and the family's screaming, do something, you've got to save them. And they, they want to turn around, and sometimes they do turn around and say, if you really love them, get them help. You're not helping them by letting them continue to do these drugs. Get them help. Don't blame me for the life choices they are making. And unfortunately, in our broken society, we've got people who do that. They blame the police officer for the decisions of uh, their, their loved ones, for their own decisions. They blame the police officers for the fact that they let themselves get to be 400 pounds or 600 pounds and they've had multiple heart attacks and they blame the, the, the EMS for the fact that their loved one dies. No, maybe you guys should have talked to your loved one about not letting them become 400 pounds or 600 pounds. Get them help, you know. So on that pleasant note, we'll take a quick break and talk. We will talk about our sponsors. I'm blessed to have three sponsors. And uh, John Lee O'Reilly with um, General Response. And he teaches as a retired police officer, decorated police officer. He teaches very, very high caliber uh, de-escalation. And I love, I love to listen to how he discusses and talks about de-escalation. And he puts you in real-world scenarios under pressure because the only way you're going to learn to perform under pressure is to be trained under pressure. This is why boot camp is so strenuous or combat training is so strenuous. This is why our special forces, our SFSOF, they train so hard is because real life comes at you fast and it comes at you hard and you better be able to perform under that pressure. You need to check out John Lee O'Reilly with General Response. And uh, secondly, Got Your Six Coffee. And uh, I dearly love Got Your Six Coffee. The thing I love about it is I was talking to the founder, Eric Hadley, uh, last week. And, and I said, you know, the heart that you have for our veterans, for our police officers, firefighters, paramedics, ARMTs, 
the the heart that you have is what makes what you do so powerful because he takes the the vehicle of coffee and uses it to change lives and the coffee's delicious the coffee's award-winning but it's the mission that makes it worth it you got to check out you got to check out got your six coffee and uh, their mission's amazing i love working with that company i'm honored to have them as a sponsor and then thirdly matt combs with shield force international teaching um teaching officers how to defend themselves how to work with others uh how to survive the fight and uh how to win the fight without fighting um and you know surviving the ambush you name it have gun will travel my friend matt combs with shield force international i dearly love training with him and i've taken quite a few of his classes but not nearly enough so i uh, i highly recommend shield force international and i'm really grateful to have them as one of my sponsors so let's get back to the topic we're talking about things that first responders see that they shouldn't see um and a lot of times people don't understand and we'll, we'll shift focus a little bit a lot of times the public is one of the worst parts of being a first responder and i know that sounds terrible but it really is true um we had had a flood rip through a, a local town and uh i went as a as a first responder i'm cert which you know big whoop but i do do some simple first responding and i got put with one of the police departments that i chaplain and spent the day with them and was able to be there to help them get through the day and you cannot believe the asinine nature of the public and i'm not blaming everybody but i'm just saying it would be nice if some people thought before they spoke or thought before they acted um, they're trying to keep people away from the water there's floodwaters that have ripped through it's destabilized streets it's undermined lawns and and sections of asphalt entire streets um, things are collapsing uh, alongside this this um, this stream that normally runs inches deep and it's running you know in some places over 100 feet wide and you know 30 feet deep and the indignant angry nature of people that would pull up we didn't as first responders i mean I, i'm a little bit of a first responder we didn't make this happen but the attitude of people and literally i don't know how many people came up and said is there a road around here that you guys are not going to close and you're thinking they're not closing it for the fun of it ding dong people might think before they speak and because i have a good side bed my good bedside manner with people because i have a good rapport with people and i had not been up for three straight shifts i was with them about 12 hours and uh i kind of took over doing pr and i'd walk up you know people would walk up to me and and i'd take point and they'd be like you know is, is there a road around here you guys are not going to close and i'd kind of laugh and say well there's one left that hasn't been closed due to a huge amount of water like a, a deadly amount of water going over the top of it and that would make people think typically and I would say, if you go out of town this way and this way and this way, well, then I would kind of joke and, and they, I'd, they'd get ready to leave. And I say, now, but if you do choose to stay and, and you do choose to stay and, and the water does, does make leaving town impossible, uh, we, we're going to become an island and going to declare our independence and start holding elections. You could be on the ground floor of something pretty cool and people would start laughing. And, um, I just kind of tried to keep it light but literally a guy came up to me demanding to know how to get out of town because it was our fault that the flood had ripped through town and in some places things were being swept away like i don't know roads um, bridges were flexing and and were being closed because they could collapse at any moment 
And uh, he was demanding to know if there was any way to get out of town. And I told him, and his wife points past me with this absolute asinine attitude. And she says, we have to go all the way around there to that other town and all the way back down to go right there, to go right there. And she points across the stream. And I laughed and I said, well, yes, ma'am, unless you have a vehicle that can cross, you know, a, a 30 foot deep hole filled with water and it's 40, 50 feet across or whatever, whatever the dimensions were, unless you have a vehicle that can cross that safely. Yes, ma'am. Oh, and that's one of the saddest things. It becomes very hard for a first responder not to become incredibly jaded. I can tell you, literally, my eye twitched as I said, as I got ready to say this next part. <laughs> I have directed traffic at many a wreck, and my eye just twitched thinking about it. It is the most incredible study in humanity, in human stupidity, if you direct traffic at a car accident. Watching people incapable of thinking, um, freaking out. I've watched people shut down lanes of traffic by not thinking. And I understand that the average person has not through, been through terrible situations like this or, or doesn't really know how to perform under that level of pressure. I get it. But some of the things I've seen people do, um, I saw a semi try to run through a wreck and I walked out in front of him and shut him down. Um, there were people spilling out of their cars and I was right there and got in between him and them. And I was angry <laughs> and he stayed in his truck and he stayed put because there's glass and broken debris from four vehicles all over the road. He was trying to run the wreck. There were people standing in the roadway and stumbling out of their vehicles right in the path of where he was going to drive. Um, I remember I got a lady or got a guy in trouble with his wife because there'd been a car accident and he was trying to run the wreck. And I walked out in front of him and I made him stop. And he glared at me and I said, listen to me, that is a car accident. There are injured women and children in there. And his wife reaches over and is like, Harold, whack, and whacked him in the arm. And then he looks at me like, thanks a lot. You got me in trouble with my wife. That's one of the hardest things for first responders. Um, I know a female firefighter that was standing at an intersection during that flood I mentioned. And a guy pulls up in a lifted truck and and says I, I just need to get over there and that's one of the most common things you'll hear and i understand that it's an inconvenience but the firefighter didn't cause it to flood it isn't something that they can just turn on and off like a switch and this guy i just need to get over there you just need to let me through and she said i can't let you through like literally we'll end up doing a swift water rescue on you and he laughs at her and drives off drives up and finds a side street goes down into the water, driving down the street that she just told him not to drive in, his vehicle floods out, and they had to do a swift water rescue. Guess who got a fine? Well, that's the price you pay for being stupid. And I just don't understand sometimes the things that I see in here. And it's, it's sad, I get it, that people don't know what they don't know, but that's one of the hardest things for people who are first responders to deal with um, is, is people not stopping for a second and going, oh, oh, this is a disaster. Oh, this is an emergency. Oh, maybe we should have a modicum of respect. Um, in my state, it is the law that you pull over for a funeral. Um, it's very frustrating when people refuse to pull over for funerals when it's the law and they deserve to get ticketed for it. It's a huge sign of disrespect and it can get people hurt. When, when people try to pass a hundred cars in a straightaway because they're, they're too arrogant and too selfish to show respect for someone. And it's amazing what the golden rule does. 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would I want someone to be a jerk at my aunt's funeral, at my grandmother's funeral? Would I want someone to try to pass all of the cars in the lineup and potentially cause a car accident at my family's funeral? No. Would I want somebody to be an absolute jerk because there's been a fatality wreck and it's a crime scene and they have to shut down traffic and divert me around with a detour? Um, you know, would I want someone to be an absolute jerk if that was my family member? No, I would not. And that's one of the things that is so hard for first responders. I know of a retired state trooper. He told me years ago that he um, was working a scene in the rain early in the morning and a guy came up. I think he said it was in a, por in a Porsche and the guy was coming right at him and he's he's waggling his flashlight and he's waiting like stop and the guy shakes his head at him and guns it to run through the wreck. Now there's firefighters behind him. There's an ambulance behind him. There's wreckers behind him. There's you know, a dozen innocent people back here, including potentially some injured parties. And this guy is going to go right through the middle of it because he's got a Porsche and he doesn't have to do anything. He's, he's too important to be inconvenienced by this. So the state trooper, to save his own life, because he was directly in the man's path, with little or nowhere to go, and had the responsibility of protecting the people behind him morally, flung his flashlight right through the center of the vehicle. And as I recollect the story, he took the, the rearview mirror off. The thing, the flashlight kind of landed behind the guy. And the guy screamed and swerved off the road, went down a little embankment because the road was raised and the embankment was down to either side. The guy was banged up a little bit, bruised up a little bit. And as he opened the door, the state trooper slid down the bank to him. And as the guy reached up and grabbed the side of the car door, the state trooper slapped one side of the cuffs <laughs> around his wrist, pulled him out and cupped him up. And the guy's like, what do you think you're doing? And he's like, you're under arrest. And that is one of the saddest things is the people who, who are flagrantly disrespectful during life-threatening situations. Um, it, that's one of the things that is so hard on first responders. I was backing a police officer after a shooting and he was waiting on his backup. We were the only two people in town. Um, I was, I, as a civilian, I was riding with him. I was watching his back and three young men in a standoff with the shooter that they're, they're not involved. The shooter is, is not barricaded inside the house, but the shooter's in the house. And at that point was not coming out. And this police officer is juggling a shoulder radio mic a PA mic off of his cruiser a right and a rifle and is giving verbal commands to this person who's not responding to them and coming out of the house. Um, people have emerged from their houses. Some of them are in the direct line of fire where if the person shoots at the police officer, they could get hit and I'm trying to get them to get down. And I'm being told, oh, they wouldn't shoot me. Facts not in evidence. They just shot somebody right here. And it was, it was not a self-defense shooting. And um, three young men are walking up the street. They see an officer, lights on, issuing orders, rifle over the hood, and decided to come up to the situation. I turn to the officer, covering this officer, watching his back to make sure that nobody tries to harm him, and looking for other potential victims. And I said, by his last name, and I said, there's, there's three men, young men, they're boys, teenage boys coming up, trying to interject themselves into the situation. He said, handle it. They got to hear my dad voice. 
And I don't, I don't knife hand a lot of people, but they got knife handed and they decided to leave. It's things like that where people come up and interject themselves in the middle of a situation that they shouldn't. It's one thing to offer help when it's needed, but it's another thing to interject yourself into a situation when it's not needed. And that's one of the things that is really hard on first responders is just people. Sometimes you get some great people that are unbelievably great people. I've seen people run up with fire extinguishers. I've seen people come up with medical bags. I've seen nurses and, and other first responders jump in that were off duty or out of state or retired um, veterans. I've seen people step in and be unbelievably helpful. And I've seen people be unbelievably lunk-headed. And that is really hard on first responders. And it can become very hard for them not to be jaded. And that's where... We somehow expect that our first responders will be able to just hit some kind of a magical reset button, that they're not really human. They're made in a, in a laboratory somewhere, and they're not really human, and they'll be able to, between every call they go to, somehow that first responder can completely hit the reset button and just blank the slate and not be impacted by the thing they just saw, which is incredibly hard to do for anybody. I've, I've talked about this in other episodes, but if somebody yells at us at our job, and we're not working in some kind of a high-stress environment like being a first responder, and we work at a bank or we work at a dentist office or something, and, and somebody yells at us, I literally know people that they've allowed that to ruin their day. They've allowed that to ruin their week. They go home talking about that because that's the human condition. But police officers are lied to, spit on, yelled at, screamed at, called names, um, and, and deal with the complete spectrum of human emotion from being hit on all the way over to screamed at and being told, I'm going to rape and murder your family. And somehow they are supposed to be able to, as human beings, push that off. And this is why in our next episode, we are going to talk about um, why you can't find your identity in the badge. And then in the next episode after that, we are going to talk about why you need hobbies as a police officer because you you're not going to see a lot of success in the day-to-day -day work you, you will not change the entire world but you can change somebody's world there are things that our first responders really just shouldn't see nobody should see i've had people describe at length really a situation that to me was not traumatic at all because i've been so long beside the badge and I've encountered so many things, and I think it's part of how I'm wired. I think a lot of it is my perspective on life, um, which I believe God has blessed me with. But they, they talk about this thing that was so unbelievably traumatizing to them, and I'm thinking that might be why you're not called to be in law enforcement or a firefighter, EMT paramedic, because you can't handle that stress or that situation. I, I was at a, a store one day, and it was really an interesting study in, in human condition. A guy... I had been drinking and he had a seizure and he fell and they had uh, merchandise around and he fell against a display and busted his face open, was bleeding from his face rather profusely. And if you know anything about wounds, head wounds bleed like a stuck pig. And so he had collapsed and I saw really an interesting cross section of humanity. I saw people freeze, just absolutely freeze and not be able to function. Literally, we shouldn't say fight or flight. We should say freeze, fight, or flight, because more people, in my opinion, freeze than fight or run. And I saw a lot of people freeze. I saw people run. And several of us went to him and a young lady, and I deeply admire 
her heart immediately stepped in and was helping him hold pressure. We got him sitting down. Um, I made the call, was able to walk the paramedics in, and they were able to transport the guy, get him help. But it, it's really interesting to see how a cross-section of these things work. And it's really hard for our first responders not to get jaded when they pull up to something and somebody is freaking out and panicking. It's really hard for them. And it's really hard not to get jaded and you're trying to get information. I remember um, a woman was un unresponsive. She was not breathing. And um, the, the paramedics were trying to get information about her and her family couldn't function. They could not speak. And you could see the frustration, like two or three of these paramedics had tried to talk to them. And I stepped over there and I did what I dearly love to do. I was able to bring some perspective, a little bit of peace to the situation. I prayed with the family. They couldn't give names and birth dates and locations and medical history because of the panic that they were going through. That's part of the human condition. I'm not condemning it. So please don't misunderstand me. But it's really hard for first responders not to get jaded. So I stepped over was able to to speak quietly to them. They accepted the offer to pray with them, and I did so. And and I believe God answers prayer. They became visibly calmer. Talked to them a little bit about, you know, kind of how to breathe and, and how to help themselves because the right amount of oxygen to the brain really helps. And when I did that, end result, um, I got a nod and a thank you from a couple of the paramedics. One of them stepped over and was able to get the information from these folks. So before I get off of here and, and before I pray, I want to mention behind me, you're going to be noticing some changes here in about a month. I'm going to have uh, some more sound boards up. So it's going to fill up the wall. And then I've got some stuff coming up in season three. We're drawing close to the end of season two, but going into season three, I'm going to have some new stuff behind me. And uh, as always, um, if you will private message me um, beside the badge podcast at gmail.com, if you will um, private message me, and by the way, that may be something I need to put up on the wall behind me is my email address. Um, I will get you an address that you can send if you have departmental patches. Um, I'm going to get those up on the wall behind me. And off to my left, I actually have another wall. That'd be a great place for me to put some patches. So we'll love to get those. Um, over time, I've had some folks send me shirts, different things like that from departments. And I have been blessed even just to talk to folks. Um, I've had some folks get hold of me and say, hey, thank you for that podcast. My brother sent me this and I never really understood what he went through until I listened to you unpack that for me. So uh, if you if you value this podcast, um, I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate uh, your patronage if you in the in the form of likes, uh, subscribing and sharing it. If there's someone you know that you feel would benefit from the podcast, um, I, I really kind of started it initially as a way for me to reach a lot of the officers I directly chaplain because I can't ride with all of them. In a week, I may get to ride twice. And I'm looking at in August, my plan is barring apocalypse to go through the police academy. I'm going to have to go through the night academy. And I'm still working out some details about how that will work and how I'll be able to afford that. But that's part of my plan. And I was having to juggle things around because it's going to change a few things for me as a chaplain. And it's, it's growing. I've talked to people um, out of state, Florida, Michigan, um, different parts of the country, Illinois, um, Ohio, and, um, and, and other places I can't even think of at the moment. 
and have really gotten to enjoy some of those enjoy some of those conversations and am looking forward to my plans in season three. I'm actually planning on bringing on some guests. A couple of them I was hoping to bring on in season two. We just weren't able to get our schedules together, but I've got some plans for that. So on that note, I'm going to pray out this episode and I'll talk to you in the next one. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to reach, to reach people about uh, what our first responders go through. Lord God, I, I, am thankful for the opportunity to be a chaplain, to be there for folks who are hurting and help them find perspective. Lord God, I thank you for that opportunity. I ask that you guide, bless, and protect the men and women that protect us every day. Lord God, that you would protect them when the bad guys attack, you'd cause the bad guy to stumble. Lord God, that you would you would be with them and literally when their lives are in danger, you would bend the bullets around them. Lord God, and I have seen you move in so many situations. I thank you for the opportunity to do this. I thank you for the mission you've given me. And, uh, and Lord God, we just, we just ask this and, and, and say this in the one name that makes it possible in your son, Jesus name. Amen. Guys, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Beside the Badge podcast. Stay safe out there and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast.